Good day, everyone, and welcome to the Story of America with me, your host, DeAndre Pace, and Rhett Williams, the co-host. Today, we have of us joining for the second time on our show, Raymond Brooks, who was the uh, Republican congressional candidate for this year's uh, primary. Unfortunately, Raymond Brooks does not seem like he's going to be the winner of this particular primary race, but he can give us some good insight, and we have a lot of great things to talk about today. Uh, first things first, Mr. Brooks, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. I'm glad that you've decided to come on with us. I wanted to have you back on before before primaries, but but the, the news cycle has been so has been so chaotic, and I think somebody of your expertise would have been able to 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 really help out with 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 a lot of that stuff. Um, before before we get to some of the to some of the um more pressing topics that have been in the news lately. I wanted to just ask you, uh, now now that the primary uh, race is over, how did this congressional run go go for you? And how how are you feeling um, with what looks to be a potential runoff between Ezel and Palazzo? Well, the experience of this was uh, definitely eye-opening. Um, I do wish that we had more people come out and vote. I think that's where myself and uh, Carl Boynton fell short is, you know, there's approximately 270, 270,000 registered voters in the fourth district and only about 50,000 came out. So, you know, that's that's one of the, the things that I think I underestimated. I thought that this, this district, just from what I've been hearing, that more people wanted to be involved and wanted more change. But uh, it's it's pretty typical for a midterm, an off-season midterm, you know, like this one, that people just choose to sit at home. Why they choose to do that uh, is, is beyond me. Um, there's a lot of people that contacted me after the race. And it was one of two things. Either they didn't know the other candidates that were running uh, on the ballot, or they didn't know that the actual election was even on that day. So that was a bit disheartening. <laughs> to say yeah, that's, the, that's the local media's fault because they yeah, don't publicize that's a, that's anything. That's exactly right. what I was about to say. Do you think that the media has anything to do with that? Because uh, at the last forum that you guys had, uh, the one that was outside in the heat, um, if it wasn't for Alden letting us know about it, um, we we wouldn't have known and when we showed up there hardly anybody was there the only people that showed up with a camera was us well let's be and, honest everybody had a camera in their pocket nobody else yeah, filmed it though. yeah right. everybody else had had uh, had their phones but as far as the media attention no recording you know uh i seen the media on that one uh presser you guys had at the school um yes. Uh, WLOX posted that it was going to happen, but then they didn't put any any uh, any video out, nothing, right. no, not even an article. So we didn't get hardly any real information. And so I'm thinking the media really, I don't want to say it, but it seems like it might be in Palazzo's pocket because they won't run any information about them. I mean, no, I mean any run-of-the-mill person that lives in the fourth district does not want Palazzo to be our representative, but nobody knew about the election day. 
Nobody knew about the forums. Nobody knew that he didn't show up to any of the right. forums. And, and I don't know that I would squarely put the blame on media. I, I'd have to say that as we as a nation have just become too complacent with our politics. It's, it's either I hear I'm not really into politics, which is the worst thing you can say as an American citizen, um, or th that they just uh, don't pay too much attention to it. I in either case, it's not good for us as a nation. You know, as we, uh, I would agree with you there, but we have the when, kind of system I, that. Uh, go yeah, ahead, well, when I go around, I, you know, I I pass out stuff, you know, with with my flyers and push cards or whatever, and I'll pass out pass out the little pocket constitution because so many people don't don't even realize what's in that. The last time they remember even reading it was in high school or in middle school. And the context of it back then versus now as an adult, you know, you'd have a different understanding of it, of what your freedoms are. And I think people just tend to take that for granted. And again, that's just, I, I think that's just the temperature of our nation. We've become complacent. We've become a little bit lazy and we failed to do our part as far as the American citizens in our rights to, to the voting process to look into the candidates and actually find out what they stand for and who are these people that actually want to represent us. So many times I hear people just saying, you know, well, you know, that guy's got it in the bag. He's going to get it no matter what. Nobody's going to be able to unseat him. And that, that is just ridiculous because you have the power to unseat somebody if you don't like them. The same people who complain over and over again about how they can't stand these high prices, gas prices, food prices, shortages and food, toilet paper, baby food. These are the same people who sat at home June 7th. And, and, and I'm like, you know, you, you don't really have a right to talk. If you're not going to be a part of the political process, sit down and, and just be complacent because you're part of the status quo. You're part of the reason that things don't change because you won't stay active in, this, in these things. So um, I, I think there's a little bit of blame for everybody. I'm not trying to, you know, say that I have sour grapes about the election or anything like that. I really thought that we were making some some big strides, and you know, uh, proofs in the pudding. At the end of the day, um, you know, peop some people came out for me, but uh, it wasn't nearly the numbers that I that I was projecting to get. So, um, but like I said, I learned a lot. Uh, it was a great learning curve. Something I've done for the very first time was delve into politics, whether I decide to do it again, that's, you know, we'll, we'll see. But uh, for now, I just have to see, kind of kind of let the dust settle, per se, and, and see what happens from here. Yes, yeah, yeah, I think the, uh, uh, if I can remember, um, yeah, we, the kind of system that we have requires everybody of voting age to at least, at least be peripherally aware of what's going on. But I think that I've had so many conversations with people about politics and then they'll come to the point where they're just like, yeah, I don't vote. And I'm just like, what are we, why are you even talking about this to me right now? <laughs> uh, it's frustrating, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's like, why, why do you know all this stuff about politics, but you don't vote? Yeah. I, I wish I, I could understand that myself. And I, and I think if there's ever a candidate that comes up and truly understands the lack of enthusiasm for the American citizens to actually get out there and vote, or even actually just to pay attention to the voting process, who's running, who's trying to be your representative, um, that will be key. 
Um, you know, I, I think I've made some pretty big strides for somebody who had no political background and, and the showing wasn't shameful. Um, but uh, like I said, I just I was really thinking it was going to be much better than it was. It was also you know, just a lot of candidates. Yeah, as I was about to say true. that, too. Do you think that um, had had the uh, the primaries been more more along the lines of figuring out which one was going to be the candidate to replace Plazo, as opposed to everybody running at the same time, that maybe we would have had some, instead of having a runoff, we would have had a clear, decisive uh, victor. Because when you take a look at the at the votes uh, between the candidates and then and Plazo, I mean, you guys beat him by a landslide, but it just wasn't enough because the vote was split between Right. All of you and, that's, and I think that's what Palazzo's camp was counting on, that there would be a big split. And he, I think they actually thought they were going to win it, win it outright. Um, you know, they did a lot of polling to begin with and showing 68, you know, 70 percent were in favor of him being uh, reelected. But, uh, man, the, uh, the actual election showed that that was very, very far off. So I don't I mean, but, isn't he the one you know, who put. Uh, the uh, term limit, the six-year term limit thing before Congress several times. He did. He did. He is and as a matter seven. of fact, a lot, a lot of the candidates who were running agreed with that same term limit plan. But you see what that gets you when you keep them in there for that long. Fourteenth year. Yes. Yes. And 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 his reasoning is he's after twelve years, after six terms, he's just to the point where he holds power in in Congress. He has a seat. You know. With, with a little bit of power and he has more influence in his position. So for him to step down now would just take away from, from Mississippi. Um, I highly disagree with that. Um, they, they tend to forget that it's, it's supposed to be the people's house. And, and that's what's probably more upsetting than anything. You, you've got a group of congressmen, senators in Washington who are so out of touch with everyday people. And uh, they think they know what's best for everybody um, without, without even talking to us. They don't ask us what our issues are. They don't ask us what problems they have. They just say, this, this is what's gonna be best for you and, and, and make decisions based on that, which is not the way it's supposed to be. They're supposed to actually represent what we want them to do, so. Now that our politics has become pop culture, our politicians are celebrities. <laughs> yeah i mean it's that's really, really how it is now it really is and they don't they don't they don't do they don't do anything they don't do any real work um you know palazzo he's basically become benny thompson 2.0 <laughs> yeah you know he's not the only one another person that <laughs> we just I'd say i would seem put to get rid on of. that rest yeah yeah it, I'm, I'm, and it's it's like what do you do we, you know, we sit there and grumble and we complain, but we're not, nobody's willing to stand up. I was a grumbler and a complainer, but I stood up. I tried, I tried my best to make, take a stand for South Mississippi. Um, it's, it's unfortunate. I just couldn't get enough, enough of the votes. I, you know, if I decided to do it again, I think there's a lot of things that I would change in the way that I ran the campaign this time. But again, that's, that's uh, another story. I, I would say, you know, it is what it is. So. We'll take, we'll take our licks and keep on ticking. And um, like I said, I learned a lot. I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was a great experience. 
Uh, I met some wonderful people throughout the fourth district that uh, I cherish now, uh, I call them friends. So, you know, all in all, I think it was a, a plus for me. And whether that opens doors down the road, uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Now, what, what, is, what is your opinion of, of Ezel? If he, if Ezel, uh, if we're able to, because uh, I know we have a, we have the runoff date that's going to come up and we have to go out and vote again for the runoff. If we're able to convince all of the people that came out and voted for you, voted for um your competition, all of your all of the other guys to get behind Ezel to take Palazzo out. What's your opinion of Ezel? Because when I was at the forum and I was able to uh, hear uh, Ezel on the stage, sounds very sounds very polished, very authoritative, but he scares me because he seems very <laughs> war very war hawkish. So what, what is your yeah. what is your yeah, opinion? That's what I thought Ezel? too. You I, I I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, from what I've seen and what I've heard, um, I, I was kind of questioning some of his answers as well. Um, but, you know, as far as, you know, that it's kind of a two-part thing. Number, let, let's start with number one, as far as all the other candidates getting together behind somebody. We all stand together in, in saying that Palazzo does need to be unseated, regardless. So right there, that's going to give half of our support right to whoever the front runner is. And of course, right now that's Ezo. Now, as far as him, you know, I was very, as, as a candidate myself, I was very, very focused on my own campaign and what I was, the message I was trying to get out. So I paid not too much attention to the other candidates personally. Um, I, I did have a committee who was helping me and they were looking into some of these candidates, but I didn't get really too much from, uh, from Ezo. And I, and I think that, um, he kind of slipped under the radar there. I don't think I don't think he was expected to get as many votes as he did, but he ran a great campaign and he did really well. So, um, you know, kudos to him for that. Uh, now, as far as the the platform, you know, that he stands on, I think we all stand united that we stand on a Republican conservative platform. And just like individuals in anything, you're going to have people who support one thing a little bit more than another. And I think that's where Ezel was. Uh, board, you know, uh, across the board, he's 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 a, a conservative, and and I think that's what he's going to fight for. And if he doesn't, I, you know, that's that's something I think we should hold hold his feet to the flame on. But um, yeah, there there were some answers and some issues that he did, you know, um, comment on that I was a little bit concerned on. And 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 one of the things that you just mentioned about like the uh, uh, a little bit war hungry like he was too anxious to get into a conflict uh, yeah, with Russia, Ukraine. Ukraine thing. yeah yeah, yeah. So that, that, that I, was I the one that, that that was the one that got me the most was that now he's he said some other things that were a little suspect too and i i liked a lot of his answers but what it comes down to is if given the choice between the devil we know and the devil we don't yeah. ezel or palazzo who would you prefer i i would prefer Ezel. And, and only because I think once you've been in there too long, you, you start getting your claws into the political system. And again, you, you get away from why we put you there to begin with. Palazzo is absolutely there. And he's proved it through this entire uh, campaigning process by absolutely refusing to talk to the people of South Mississippi, not doing any town halls, not attending any forums, refusing to do any debates with any of the candidates, 
you know, whether that is going to benefit you or not, I think you owe it to your constituents to show up. And he absolutely refused to. So to me, that was a thumb and, you know, he thumbed his nose at us and said that we weren't, we didn't deserve that from his campaign or from him. Um, that just, you know, it, it, that upset me even more. You know, initially, I don't have anything personal against Palazzo. He's got some issues. And, those, and I think those issues are enough for him to, to step down on his own if he had any morals standards himself, but he doesn't. And, he, and he's proven that to us. The, the thing is, we have to get, you know, we, we have to get to the point where we're going to stand up and we're going to support somebody. And, and I think if we put somebody in there fresh, like Ezel, um, who, who I, I don't want to say doesn't have a political background, but doesn't have that political background, I think it's easier to unseat him if he starts doing stuff that we don't agree with in these next two years. I would um, agree with I, that. I don't think they don't have the backing. Now, in 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 many respects, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, but um, one of the things that Ezel said, and all of you have said, everyone that we've talked to, everyone that we interviewed, and the ones that we didn't interview, um, have said that they want to get in there, get the job done, and get out. Um, do you, do you see that in Ezel and do you think that he's going to hold his word on that? Because, uh, just strictly speaking on a career background, Ezel has been the sheriff of, um, of Ocean Springs. I think it says, I think it was, um, for, for, uh, an exceptionally long period of time. And it makes it hard to believe that he'll get in and get out because of how long he's been doing a particular job that he's doing. Now, I'll give credit where credit's due. His county is one of the safest counties in our in in our district. You know, whether whether that's due to over policing or just not enough crime or whatever in the area, which I lo I love having safe areas to live in. You know, Harrison County is it's getting a little bit rough over here. I just had another shooting at my house a couple of, about a, about a week ago. Um, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, I'm calling the police because there's people outside. Sounds like it's the 4th of July. And so, uh, and and also. It's a bad oh, area, though. It is. It really is. But it's right next to a school, which is what's so troublesome. Is that yeah, the school point, is literally dude. right across the street. But, you know, uh, also, and one of the things that you said, uh, Palazzo snubbing his nose at us, but not showing up. You know, one of the things that, you know, I, I wasn't able to get too much information out of Wiggins because he just seemed very trained, very trained politician. You know, you know, they, they answer a question with a question. And but one of the things that I've at the very least respected Ezel for was at the last forum that we that me and Rhett went to. Um, uh, Wiggins was there and he and he had to leave. Because he said he had to do some campaign work or uh, mm -hmm. some work for a for a state state congress, but he at least he showed up. He answered some questions. And he was there for about an hour and a half, and then he left. Um, you know, before we were able to get through all the questions, but at least he showed up and said that oh, I have to leave early because I have to do this. If Palazzo would give us any of that, I think he might have gained a little bit more respect from his constituents. Right. Oh, I, I agree 100%. Like I said, I don't have anything against Palazzo, but I think that he should have answered some of the questions that we have as, as voters that put him there. 
um, a lot of stuff that was going on in this nation that we weren't happy about, um, that he voted either with or against, that, you know, we, we're, we're scratching our heads. At least answer for those, you know, that's that's all I think. You you answer for those. Explain us your thoughts on why you decided to vote this way or or, or not support something that was going through that the American people weren't happy about. Yeah, I, I certainly... It's so rare in politics these days, but I respect yeah, honesty. Yeah. No matter if you did right or wrong, just tell us and admit it. Well, That's you know, I, and I and I, we I don't think we have anybody to blame but ourselves because we keep we keep electing these people in, we keep electing them in, and so what does that do to them and their mindset? It empowers them. It makes them believe that hey, I can do what I want, and it's not going to matter because when it comes to voting time, I know how to play the game. I put a bunch of commercials out. I'll, I'll do a couple public appearances right before the election and the people are going to love me. Watch. And lo and behold, or just not care. I mean, the, uh, most of them are the reason why we have people in, in office that long is because no one, I mean, very few people actually care. And like you said, you, you did, you finally decided to stand up and say something and put your voice in the ring. And I think, you know, if you decide to carry that on, to a local or a state office or, you know, maybe run for Congress again, the door will at least stay cracked. Yeah, but, um, I, I believe I so too. And that that's a, why I say it's overall, it's a positive experience. And it, like I said, I've made, I've made some great friends, um, a very, a very many like-minded people in this district. And, and I was very comforted to, to see that, that people were angry about the same things that I were, I was angry about. And, you know, wanted the same changes that I wanted. Um, it really seemed like there was a lot more, um, but I, I think I think part of the process, and, and you know, you say there's, it, it, would there be more people stand up? Politics, the way that we have it set up in this day and time is not conducive for the average American to, to, to get elected. It's not set up in that manner, unless you have a ton of money and you you have the right, I mean, you just gotta have a lot of working parts work for you at the right time for that to happen. And like I said, that's just one of the things that I've learned. I think I ran a very good campaign, a, a very um, honorable campaign. I, I'm glad there wasn't mudslinging or, or name calling. It didn't get to that point, which is kind of, I didn't know what I was getting into. So I was kind of expecting the worst of the worst to happen, but it was actually very amicable. And, and uh, I, I actually made really good friends with several of the candidates. So, uh, you know, I think that's the, I think that's the, the one thing that I was able to notice about the, the candidates that were on stage against Palazzo is, you know, you all, you all were, were, were able to come to a consensus on on airing out Palazzo's dirty laundry, but amongst the actual candidates, you guys were very respectful towards one another. I don't know the behind the scenes of everything, but at least from the point on the stage, you guys were very respectful on one another. Not not from what I saw, not a lot of of poking fingers at, at one another, throwing punches at one another. It was more about laying down the issues pointing out Palazzo's flaws and trying to get that guy out of office. And it was very, very respectful and very commendable of all of the candidates. Um, but I will say this, um, regardless of whether it was successful for you, Boynton, or any of the other candidates that were, that were against him, I think what you guys have been able to do 
as a collective unit is proved to Palazzo that he is not safe because yes. we you were able to mobilize enough people that came out that could have voted him out of office if there were fewer fewer choices and in in the near uh in the near future because we got two years more to go after this and that's assuming that Ezel doesn't manage to unseat him in the front and the runoff uh what what that's what that tells to Belazo is is that hey look the next time I come around it's going to be a lot more focused and everybody's going to try I, I'm, I'm not saying that I want to see the competition be be uh, slimmed down so much because then you start to lose a little bit of ground as far as yeah. can't you know people that yeah. that you really believe can follow your vision, but it's going to allow them allow the, uh, us to to narrow in and focus on particular candidates that we believe mm-hmm. share our values and can beat Palazzo. And if that becomes the case, and former candidates or also believe in the same thing, that puts a significant amount of pressure onto Palazzo to, to put up or go home. And hopefully it's gonna be go home come next time. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. You know, it's kind of a double-edged sword. You know, you want, you know, it's, it's a right that every American citizen has to be able to campaign and, and try to be a representative for your district, wherever you live, whether that's a local, office or a national office like we tried. So I don't want to take anything away from that. Um, I do wish that there was a better process throughout each of these counties, um, whether that be through committees, um, you know, in each district that says, hey, let's, let's take a look at these candidates. You want to run and you want our county support, come sit down and talk to us. Let's see where you stand. And then those people said, you know, this is the, we've talked to all the candidates. And this is the person that we we want to support and we want our, our county to support. You know, and, and I'm not saying that that's wholesale what's gonna happen, but that would be a good recommendation, you know, for somebody who actually, because the average person, you know, I tried to knock on as many doors and talk to as many people as I possibly could. And those, those events in themselves went a very long way. People were very, very appreciative to have somebody do it old school and come and actually speak to them face-to-face because you're not just a commercial, you're not just a billboard. You're somebody tangible that they can hear, see, and talk to and that they can read your body language, they can see your facial expressions and they can tell if you're genuine about what you're wanting to do. And that's very, very important. So people were very appreciative of that. But in in the same sense, you still want to be able to you know, not, not deter anybody from being able to run. You know, if you want to run, you, you, you have a constitutional right to do that as long as you fit all the parameters. Um, so I don't, I don't want to deter anybody. I was really hoping that we would make headway with this election because number one, as far as term limits go, you know, I, I probably had the lowest number of years that I wanted as a term limit program for, for our, our uh, legislators. And that was anywhere between three and five terms, six, six to 10 years, no more. Yeah, that's about, um, my, about my thing too. Three, three terms yeah. is my idea. Yeah, three I terms, I, I, was happy with, I was happy with six years. And I think that's, that, that opens the door for more people that are average people, more plumbers, more electricians, 
you know, more average everyday people to stand up and have an opportunity to represent their districts. <laughs> That's just something that we've gotten away from. When you look at Congress now, it's overwhelmingly one of two things, big business or, or law. You either have a law degree, um, defense, prosecutor, judge, something in, no, in that realm, or you are involved in a big business. And that, those are the people that are representing a vast majority of this nation. And it shouldn't be like that. It should be equal representation throughout that Congress. But they've made it in such a way that they, they kind of keep us out of it. Um, and and a lot do, of do you think that we have deceived ourselves into the, into that? That we, the American people, have deceived ourselves to thinking that you need some arbitrary qualification in law or business in order to become a congressperson? Yes. Well, you know, here's here's the thing. I think I think we have just a little bit, but I think that we have lawyers and and we have people who are very well spoken and they know how to present a case to a jury per se, and make, convince them, hey, this is the best way to go. This is your best option. This person is a candidate. And, and we you know, are, are partially, again, to blame on that because there's not enough of us that are involved in the political process. And again, that's just, that's shame on us. You know, the, the country's in the yeah. shape it is. You know, I think we can't that's blame Washington, D.C. Yeah, we have, to, we have to be able to blame ourselves, put some blame on ourselves. And until we as Americans can start blaming ourselves and accepting that responsibility, it's not going to change. We're going to continue to do the same thing over and over. I think that's a good analogy because I've never thought of it like that, where the, the congresspersons that are running, they are the lawyers and attorneys, and we are the jury deciding oh, the fate of the country, whether, whether, death, whether which lawyer is correct or the prosecution or the right. defense. And in many cases, we are ruling for the defense, which is the incumbent, as opposed to the prosecutor who who wants to get the incumbent out of there. So, yeah, I, I like that analogy. It's a really good analogy. Um, you got any more questions on this particular topic, Rhett? Because I, I don't want to bog down the conversation with just talks about the primary. No, uh, well, I think obviously complacency is the number one issue as far as politics is concerned, but also that it's become entertainment for a certain, and I'll, I'll say I'm guilty of that. I do think it's pretty entertaining sometimes. Sometimes, um, well, when you, when, but, when you got a guy like Biden office, sometimes you got to make some entertainment out of it or you'll, or you'll cry. <laughs> but being, you know, some people should run for office, obviously, but that's not the only way to stand up. I mean, you could work for a campaign if you're not cut out for the public, right. uh, or you right. could, I, th I see well, what we're doing is also standing up and doing something about it. We have a small show right now, but we're growing our audience. And yeah. at a certain point, we will have the reach to be able to affect a lot of people and change their opinions yeah. or share information with them. So uh, I think if you continue doing what you're doing, you will, because, you know, as I travel these, these counties throughout the 12, uh, the, the fourth district, 12 different counties, I, a lot of people said that this is where they first saw me as a as a candidate on this show. Oh, well, um, I'm happy to hear that. So that was, yeah. That's that, so that's, I mean, you're you're definitely making some waves. I don't know if they, I'm not going to say they watched it live, but they did see it at some point. So that that goes a long way. And we do need more people. And it's not just 
you know, it, it's like what you said, Rhett, you've got to be involved one way or another. If the people that I talk to, you know, just, they, they got to understand that to run a campaign, it costs money, uh, you know, and I was by far one of the least budgeted campaigns that was in this camp, in, in this whole runoff. So trying to do what, I, you know, what the other candidates would do, getting airtime on radio, getting airtime on television, um, you know, those, all those other aspects that cost money. And people would call me constantly saying, Hey, I just saw uh, Clay Wagner had a commercial on when is your commercial coming in? Well, you know, Clay Wagner had, you know, over a quarter of a million dollars in his campaign. He can absolutely you know, afford to I, do that. I, I absolutely agree with that notion too, but I also want to say that I think what you're doing, and, I, I'm, and I'm not sure what Ezel's campaign commercials and stuff are all about, because I've never seen any of them. Uh, I didn't either. That's kind I think, of shocking. I, I think what, you, what you're doing, uh, you know, actually going, meeting people, uh, you know, it's obviously taking the time to speak with people like us. Uh, it really speaks to something because, um, you know, uh, Carl Boynton, I liked him. I think he was really good. Very Trumpish, which I think might have turned like some people yeah. might have turned some people off because some people still are never Trumpers. Um, but you know, Boyington, he put in a lot of money. He had a lot of camp, a lot of commercials. I've seen some of his on YouTube uh, commercials. Wagner obviously put in a lot. But when you take a look at the numbers, um, I think when I looked at it, uh, your your votes you racked you racked in uh, slightly less than five thousand. Um, might might have been more, but at the time that I looked at it, it was slightly less than five thousand. Yeah, uh, Boynton, Boynton was um was a little over six thousand, and uh, he put in a lot of money. And I'm not sure how his campaign operated behind the scenes, whether he was going knocking on doors. Um, Bryce Wiggins, he didn't even get the ten; he had a little over nine thousand. Um, and Wagner, he started off strong. But I think he capped out at a little over eleven thousand. Might have been somewhere around twelve to thirteen. And again, I don't know anything about about how Ezels was set up because I I didn't see any commercials. But then again, I didn't see any commercials for a lot of people. I, you know, I saw I saw some for for Boynton. Um, I didn't see really any any commercials for Wiggins. I, you know, they're pretty sure they were out there somewhere. I didn't. I actually didn't see any for Wagner either. But I'm pretty, like you said, they were out there. It just, I guess, it depends on where you consume most of your media at. Right. And that 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 might have been uh, Ezil's strategy. I'm not sure what it was. So we never got to speak with him. But um, maybe his strategy was more along the lines of social media. Because I know when I look at the flyers that I got from the forum all of his contact information was all social media. There was no email. There was no phone number to contact. So considering that most people are getting their information from social media nowadays, uh, maybe the TV commercials and stuff like that just doesn't cut it for some people. They're not watching young, young people, particularly they're not watching TV. You know, yeah, I think a that's, lot of uh, cables going away. I think it's, it's a dinosaur this time. Most people stream now. So it's, it's, it's not that accessible to the average person. If you want to count on that, you're probably looking at a genre of the elderly. Um, I'd say, you know, that my, my mother and, and, and grandparents and stuff like that who still watch cable news. 
Um, but most, I think a, a good swath of the public is moving to streaming or they go to social media for most of their information now. I absolutely, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I mean, I don't want to date myself because I'm not that old, but I, I, I purchased YouTube television exclusively for the ability to watch TV. But you know, the thing about it is, is a lot of times I'm working when the, when my shows are on, so they're on DVR. So when the commercials do come on, I skip them. You know, that's yeah. that's how that's yeah. how most people are. You know, and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, like with, when I was talking to Rhett in our last show, um, you know, for the longest time I've had YouTube Premium, no ads. So because it because it can't uh, it canceled, and I decided uh, that I wasn't going to buy pay for it anymore because YouTube kept keeps deleting our videos. So I said I'm not going to do YouTube Premium anymore. And then I start seeing Boyington's advertisements all over the place on YouTube. Every time I click on one, yeah. there's Boyington. I think, you know what? Now I think I think I might've seen one Wagner YouTube uh, ad. And I'm like, okay, well, that brings up another point. A lot of us aren't actually seeing the advertisements as opposed to reading them on social media because right. we're, we're skipping the ads, we're buying all the services that, removes advertisements because we don't right. want to see ads you know um so you know there, there there's there's a whole bunch of there's a whole new world of stuff and then of course the fec has a lot to do with with uh how we can regulate those things too which i don't want us you know i don't want to get into a conversation about the fec i, I think i think um, if we wanted to really make our elections a little bit more fair we would get rid of them all together because the fec the FEC really has no place uh, in our politics, but they're but they're there, and now I don't see them going anywhere anytime soon. Um, yeah. But like I said, I did I didn't want to talk about just primaries on this one because I felt like your 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 expertise um, can really help bring to bring to light some of the issues that have been facing us fairly fairly recently. Um, as you know. We've had a, a slew of shootings lately. Uh, you know, started with the Brooklyn Railroad shooter in New York. Really, it started earlier than that, but the ones that the media choose to pay attention to, the Brooklyn Railroad shooter, then the Buffalo shooting after that, which they're still paying attention to that, and they completely have completely forgotten about the Brooklyn guy. I don't even want to talk about him, but you know, in my opinion, they don't talk about him because his skin color is wrong. But yeah, um, then then we have the Uvalde shooting, probably the most tragic shooting that we've seen. Um, and if you don't count the the massacres that happen in Chicago every day, but then Philadelphia looked like a war zone. I was watching Fox. Uh, Philadelphia it sounded like a war zone the other a couple of days ago. Sounded like the Fourth of July. Um, so. First, first off, oh, you you've been a, you've been a police officer. I believe you said it was twenty years. Yes. So, in in your opinion, uh, obviously there's a lot of opinions going around with the Uvalde police uh, police chief how he how he operated that situation, uh, given that it it was active shooting, but it was also a barricade situation. I, I, I can buy that it was a barricade situation because of the way that the doors and the, and the schools are designed. You can't just go in there and kick it through like you would, like the police officers came here 
and they kicked open my neighbor's store when I called the police because of the gunshots. You can't just do that at uh, to a school door. I mean, it would, you probably could. It would just take a significant period of time and right. it would probably ramp up the amount of danger that the kids would face and that the police officer would officers would face. So in your professional opinion on, on that, um, how do you think uh, that handled it? And if you were in charge of the operation, how would you have handled it differently if you see any areas of improvement that, uh, that they could have taken? Okay, well, you know, that's, that is a great question. And it's a great issue that's going around. And uh, a lot of people have been paying close attention to it. However, here's, here's my personal opinion on it. Number one, I wouldn't speak on behalf of somebody else and what their actions are in a situation that I am not there personally at. Um, how they responded to that is strictly on them. Um, do I agree with it? Uh, absolutely not. Um, but, you know, I wasn't there. So I don't know all those extenuating circumstances that were involved in the actual incident. And, you know, those will come out in the next few days. Now, on me personally, I know how I was trained and I know why I got into this profession because I want to stop things just like that from happening. I, you know, I put that uniform on every single day wondering if it's going to if it's going to be a day like that you know or or if it's going to be a traffic stop on my on my way into the office or something that it's going to it's going to put me in a position where I'm going to have to take somebody's life or try to defend my own or even run across some have and having to defend somebody else's life because they are being threatened their life is being threatened the training that we've gone through I take extremely extremely seriously I don't like complacency. And so I try not to be that person. I, I try to do everything I can to make sure that I'm trained, um, that I'm aware of what's going on, aware of my surroundings, and that if there is an issue that needs to be handled, that that's what I'm there for. I didn't get into this, obviously, for the money, <laughs> because you're not going to get it in this profession. I got in this because I wanted to make a change. I wanted to be a good, positive role model for my kids. I wanted to be able to protect my community and, and I wanted to, you know, leave that positive impact on the people around me in, in my area. This was the best way for me to do that. And, and I think, you know, it was just, it was one of those things that a path that God set me on. I didn't grow up wanting to be, become a police officer. It was just something that happened in my life. Um, you know, again, that's, it's a long story and we'll talk about it someday, but you know, basically, I kind of fell into the job and found I did really, really well with it. And, and I was very suited for it. I have the, I have the perfect mindset for it. Um, and that, I think, goes a long way because a lot of people wash out once they find out, hey, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Um, there's a lot of uh, negative aspects to it that you have to be able to handle in a way that's not detrimental to your own psyche. Because dealing with negativity day after day, hour after hour, every single day for months, years, that's going to have an effect on you. It, it really is. And if you don't have a way of dealing with that, it's going to have a negative effect on you. So you have to be able to separate your private life from your work life. And you've got to be able to put those boundaries down where this is my family time and this is my work time. Those things go a long way. 
<laughs> so like I said, you know, I, I absolutely would have handled that differently. And, and that strictly goes to our training. I'm not gonna say every, every agency in this nation gets trained the same way. I know that we got top-notch training. And I know that if there's an incident here in our city, these officers that I work with fight over each other to try to be the first one on scene. That's the kind of attitude that I have. And that's the kind of attitude of, of the people that I want to work with. Well, I got to um, say, given my experience calling the police for these types of incidents, the shootings and stuff, um, Gulfport, Gulfport police, you guys are the best. Because when I, when I called, you. when I called, you know, there's active shooting going on. I called uh, at two o'clock in the morning, called dispatch. And I'm like, hey, there's an active shooting. She's asking me the details. And I told her my more where I'm at. She says, is it still going on? So yeah, they're still shooting right now. I, I kid you not, before I even hung up the phone with the with dispatch, I could already hear the sirens. You know, they, those guys were coming. It was like three, three, four minutes. The, yeah. the shooters, they had already fled by then. But if they, you know, if I, if I had picked up the phone and called a, a minute or two earlier, because I had a little bit of time, you know, it woke me up out my sleep. My dog started barking. Um, but if I had if I had called just a minute or two earlier, the police would have caught them in the in the action, right? Because they they would I mean they were coming. So, you know, the response team with Gulfport Police and the fact that they're coming to face that type of danger and that type of speed, you know, you guys are the, you guys are the best at, no, I, at at doing that to keep us safe. I'd like to speak on Gulfport Police Department specifically okay. because. I don't think I told talked to you about this last time. DeAndre knows, but I'm a convicted felon, and I've been arrested by Gulfport Police Department several times. Um, and every single time, of course, I'm not the kind of person who's going to resist. I know I did wrong, so you know I don't give the police any trouble when it comes to that. But they've always conducted themselves very professionally, and they didn't mistreat me at all. So I can't say the same for Harrison County, but. Gulfport Police Department, I have tremendous respect for. Yeah, the only the only time I've ever had an incident with Gulfport Police is when I was not being respectful towards the officer, and he didn't put his arms on me or anything like that. He just uh, gave me a reality check by telling by telling me, "Hey, you know, you need to watch your mouth, or we're just not going to help you because right. you know you called us for help, and you're you know, I understand that you're angry and you're frustrated with what's going on, but you have to." You have to keep your composure and talk because you're, you're human beings. You're not taking your anger out on us. So that was the only time I ever had an incident where the police snapped on me, but I was snapping on the police officer and it wasn't hit. I wasn't snapping at him. I was angry at the situation. Right. And I, I, had, I called the police to get, you know, to get some assistance. And, and when, you know, when I, when I found out that that's not quite how the law works, that they can't just do what I wanted to do when, they, when I wanted them to do it. You know, I'm sitting there like, you know, will, will I get in trouble if I if I take this person out? You know, and I'm I'm running running my mouth, but kept this kept this composure was very calm, very cool. And you know, by by the time I calmed down, you know, he was walking down the stairs at my apartment, about to get ready to leave. He was fed up, you know, with my mouth, and so mm -hmm. his partner's still talking to me. And then, and by the time I calmed down, I told I told his partner, I said, hey. Can you stop him real quick? I need to apologize to him for my for the way I was acting, uh, because you know I'm not upset with you guys, 
but uh, you know you can imagine it's one o'clock in the morning and i'm frustrated and so yeah i had to come back up there i apologize to him and you know every time i call the police for a situation it's usually that same guy that i see <laughs> so <laughs> you know you got to be respectful because these guys are you know they're up all hours of the night you know they, they come with speed and you know they they come with such professionalism and you have to treat them with the respect that they're that they're due especially when they treat you so kindly because i've never been mistreated by a police officer i've been pulled over several times uh for not having a tag on my car when i was when i had just bought bought my car for a few years ago when i had one and every time they pulled me over uh i know i got a ticket once on the first time but all the other times the officer never even tried to give me a ticket he was just like hey what's What's, what's going on? You know, you don't have a tag. I'm like, yeah, I know. I can't afford it right now. It's like, okay, well, you know, just keep, keep on, keep on going down. Uh, you know, just try, try to be good. Try to stay out of trouble. I'm like, okay, thank you. And they let me go about my business. You know, you treat that with respect. Uh, you know, people are always like, oh, you got to do this, got to do that. I, I've never been asked to get out my car for uh, for a police officer they've never once asked me to get out my car on the side of the road yeah i i got stopped by the state trooper in, in in texas on my way to go see my uh sister for her baby shower i was going to colleen texas and i was on the freeway got got pulled over by the police because i didn't have a tag on my car my sister wanted to go see my other sister's baby shower so i was like okay let's go on over there you know and he, he stopped me he's like you know you don't have a tag didn't even have to get out of the car very professional he even gave me instructions on how to bypass all of the traffic to get over to Colleen in three hours instead of having to drive six hours to get there and, you well, know I think it works both ways you know we like I said you know on on a traffic stop or any call that we get we don't know if it's going to be our last so we're very appreciative when we talk to somebody and they're very cordial with us that goes a long way believe it or not and we do understand that, you know, most of the situations, most of the calls that we get called out to is because somebody is upset about something, you know, and we try our best to mediate that and, and get to some type of resolution. But we have to get everybody on the same page where you're able to have that conversation and, and get rid of that anger, even if it's just for a few minutes to see if we can come to a re resolution of what got you angry to begin with. So, like I said, it, it works both ways. You know, we're appreciative, you know, of that too. And so here's, a, here's another question on, this, on the uh, school shooting, not particularly the Uvalde school shooting, but school shootings in general. Um, in, your, in your professional opinion, um, you know, we've, we've heard a lot of people talking about uh, arming the teachers and things like that. Uh, what, what is uh, the best way to harden our schools as as uh, as targets for these cowards that like to come and kill people. Uh, what do you think are the best routes that our schools should be taking um, that that won't hurt the budget? Because uh, you know a lot of the schools they have the budget to get better police, get better security, but they misuse them the funds. Right. So and yeah. so and not not concerning the budget. Uh, what methods do you think there's that schools can take right now without having to spend any extra money that would harden their schools as soft targets for these cowards? Well, there, there's, there's a ton, and there's a ton of money that gets poured into our school districts. 
Um, a, a lot of the schools don't, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say the schools, but, you know, being in this profession and working in the schools as a school resource officer for many years, we get asked that a lot. What can we do? What can we do to prevent the violence or what can we do to help these children or to protect these children? You know, and a lot of it comes down to, you know, who's in charge of the money that goes into that school, because you can harden these schools, you can absolutely harden them in a way that would make it very difficult for that particular incident like that or any of the others where a shooter was able to have access to the school that you can either mitigate that down to a minimum or you can prevent it altogether from happening and, and they decide to go somewhere else and, and commit whatever acts. Um, but the simplest, I think, is working directly with your, your police departments, your local police departments, and either having school resource officers, school safety officers, or something of that nature where you have somebody who's willing to stop that threat at the door or at the borders of that, of that property. As far as teachers being armed, I think that's a it's it's up to them if they want to be armed you know that's totally up to them but I understand the other side of it too because people you know the average person is just not responsible enough you you know and and here here's why I say that many many calls that we get just in our city um, where cars are getting broken into um, uh, purses are getting stolen or, or, or boats or whatever the property is, you wouldn't believe how many of those have a gun that was just sitting there for somebody to take. That's why these people are, are targeting cars, pulling on door handles and checking to see, because they know you keep all your stuff in there, you know, and, and to keep an unsecured weapon in there, it, it makes no sense to me. I would never do that. But apparently people think that that's something that you do. And they, they don't think twice about it. That's where I think that people have an issue with teachers. Because not only are you in a school with a bunch of juveniles who don't know any better, but what are your safety precautions that you're taking to make sure that that thing is secured? And then it's not going to be, you know, mistakenly or, or even on purposely taken by a student. There has to be safeguards, you know, to have something like that. Your, your easiest safeguard is to have an armed officer there. You, you have the budget, put one in every school. Why not? Put two in some of the schools if you have to. That's, that's a simple solution. You work directly with your, your, with your police departments, make that happen because it's, it's, not, it's not a hard ask um, and it's not outside of your budget. When you look at the budget that these schools get and these districts get, oh, I and have. what I, they I spend their the money on. seen it. It's ridiculous. Yeah. When, when you see what they're spending their money on, it's like, that, that doesn't make sense to me, you know, but, but, you know, you're, you're out of, you're out of that loop. I've had, you know, administration <coughs> uh, superintendents tell me that the perception of the police car or the police officer there makes it look like we have a dangerous school. I bet those people aren't thinking that now. That's ridiculous. You know, this was years I've, ago. I've, I've never thought that. You know, you know what I thought when uh, when in Harrison Central, when Dr. Holloway was our principal, when Dr. Holloway became the principal, I was thinking uh, Joe Clark from uh, from the, from that movie. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, this he tra transformed the school. You know, I I like Dr. Holloway. I liked him a lot more than Principal Bush. Um, 
But yeah, me too. Uh, Doctor, I mean, I remember watching Doctor Holloway when when people when bullies and people were trying to start fighting people. I remember watching Doctor Holloway tackle kids down the dang steps trying to break up those fights. And there, there were always officers on 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 campus. And you know, I spoke to the officers every day, knew them on a first name basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, built built up thing. I never once felt that the school was not safe when Dr. Holloway was the principal there and we had uh, that police presence that we did. As a matter of fact, yeah. I felt I felt a bit safer because at one point, I don't know if Rep remembers this, but I, in, ninth, in ninth grade year, um, there was at one point in building, I think it was building seven or building, building seven or building five, the one that was right next to the field house. Um, That's five. Five, yeah, there was a, uh, there was, at a report that there was some guy that was driving around in a, in a grave vehicle that was roaming around, uh, running through the building naked. <laughs> I wasn't and, there then. And, you know, I, I felt much safer knowing that the, the police there were able to handle that type of type of situation. Find him and give him some clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I didn't come in until 10th grade. So I wasn't there that year. I heard about that though. Yeah, yeah, I it was seventh, think, it was seventh um, period because we didn't have seventh period in tenth grade. They sw- they switched it to four periods tenth grade year. Yeah, uh, you know, it's like you were saying. I think there's a large a large percentage of the people felt that seeing officers or police cars at their school was a sign of security. Um, for well, those supposed to be right. I mean, yeah, yeah. So, I, and so you can understand how disheartening it was for us to hear. Um, that, hey, you know, they, they want you to move your car to the back, back lot where it's out of sight. We don't want you hanging around out here in the front of the school. You I know, think that's be the dumbest decision that they could make. Because, right. you know, when, so, when, uh, when, we, when we were in high school, at the time that we were coming into school on the bus, the police officer would be at the light uh, that, we t- that, the, that the bus turned on to yeah. make sure that the buses were getting in there. They would stop traffic so that the buses could come in and turn around there would be one right there where the buses pulled up to drop us off and then there would be some in the parking lot area where there's kids would be able to park their cars and i i you know i was in a debate uh group uh two weeks ago we were talking about the school shootings and stuff like that and i was telling them you know having the police on on campus i mean sure they talk about we'll have private security well private security can't do what police officers can do they don't have the same legal authority to do what police officers can do. But at the same time, just by having police not even be on the campus, I think they should be on the campus, but just having them have a perimeter outside the campus where the cars are visible, that that type of, that level of authority shows these people, because these people who are coming in to kill kids, they're cowards. They wouldn't try that someplace else. And you know, when they see that type of authority, they say, "Oh, okay, I'm go- I'm going to go try someplace else. This yeah. is not the right. This is not the right place. These guys, they're packing." Police, you know, presence has a, a big impact on a on a large a large group of people. And um, they they tried they tried to convince me, they tried to convince me that having police on campus make it more dangerous for black people. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a there's a certain political party that wants want you to believe that and it's it's a shame it's 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 a crying shame that you know they they 
they want you to believe that for political reasons, not because it has to do with reality or anything like that, but, but strictly political. You know, it's, it's make you feel like you're a victim in some kind of way. And the only way that you're going to get protection or the only way you're going to fix it is to put your support in this party or in this person. It, yeah, it should never be. Absolutely. It, it, but, it's a know. shame. And then, and then uh, the, the politicians, they use these tragedies to pr promote political agendas because before any, I mean, you're pretty sure you saw it. I was uh, pissed off. Because, um, you know, before the shooting, victims' names had even been mentioned. Here's Bedor Work jumping up in there, trying to make yeah. a, a case out of it. And then Biden right. comes out and says he wants to ban handguns because a nine millimeter can blow your lungs out of the body. I never heard of a nine millimeter <laughs> being able to do that. But yeah, I'm not sure where he's getting his information from, you know um we we do ballistics and, and you know that's something that we have to be familiar with uh, on the sniper team um but uh yeah that's i'm not i'm not sure maybe he got his numbers mixed up or something but uh, i'm not seeing it another thing yeah, he keeps saying is uh uh are those deers out there running around with kevlar on meanwhile a rifle yeah. won't a rifle will go through kevlar well, you know, you know the th the thing about it, he he plays that card every single time, but and that only tells me that he doesn't understand the Constitution, because exactly. the, you know, will not be infringed has nothing to do with the hunting trip. Those guys that that formed that document just got done liberating a nation. They were at war, and that's what that was the premise of those words in that in that document to stop a tyrannical government from taking your God-given freedoms away from you. So, you know, and, and I think either he doesn't understand the Constitution or he does understand it and he's wanting to take those rights away. So this you know, is the I only way the, to do it. I think it's the second one because uh, they just dug up some of his own words from back in the, from back in 2000 and yeah. uh, in the 80s and the 90s, but when he wrote the crime bill, you know, that goes yep. shows that he absolutely understands what the Second Amendment is all about. But it's it's they're, they're so about pushing this agenda, get rid of the guns, get rid of the guns, because um, they've already managed to silence the majority of the country. You know, they promote everybody except for the uh, uh, the majority. I mean, you got Pride Muff going on right now. Uh, you know, I was looking at Candace Owens, and I never did think about it that way, but. Pride Month is almost a spit in the face to Black History Month, even though I don't think we need a hit Black History Month. But, right, but I it's agree. not it's not even it's not even the same. It started off as a day, then it came to a week. Now it's an entire month of just gyrating around sexually and in, uh, in public. And it makes you know it makes very little sense. That's um, what they've turned LGBTQ whatever plus. They've turned it into something that originally it was about love. Now it's just about sex. It's like. We're, our culture is slowly becoming obsessed with like the most base desires yes, and it's it, destroying it everyone. You know, I've seen the, the drag queens dra dancing in front of children and it's not the drag queens fault, you know, in this particular case. Sure, they were dancing in front of the kids, but they're at yeah. the club doing that. Their, their parents brought the kids to this dang yeah. event to, to have ridiculous. their kids be exposed to drag queens dancing and stuff like that. These kids are yeah. probably no more than 10, 10 years old, maybe less than that. And we, we, have, we have completely perversed our society. And, you know, I, 
Those kids' parents are millennials. That's our generation. The older people yes. in our generation. And well, I hate our, to see where our country's look. going. You know, this the writing was on the wall because they, you know, systematically they took God out of schools. They took the mm-hmm. Bible out of schools and then they replaced it with this. And you know, oh, that yeah, it is a religion. Itself, it is. Yeah, you you should you should absolutely pay attention to it because you know, if, they, if they're going to say that it's okay to teach that, then we should be able to teach so, what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah to those yes. same students. <laughs> because it's, I see the nation going in that direction. I see a lot of evil things happening in this nation. And I see a lot of people in those representative positions that are that are flying that same flag and promoting those same ideals. And I'm like, how do you call yourself a Christian? How do you, how do you reconcile that? You call yourself a Christian, but yet you believe in murdering babies in the womb. You believe in, um, you know, any type of sexual immorality is okay with you, you know, but yet you call yourself a Christian and a believer in God. I, I don't understand how they reconcile that, whether it's in their mind or in their heart. It just doesn't I make think sense. I see the uh, rainbow cult, this new woke, it's like a new paganism in some yeah. sort of strange way. And abortion is... Another thing that kind of ties abortion into it, is that's it's like, version of sacrifice. That's what I was. It's the fires of Moloch. That's exactly what it is. It's the reemergence. I've said this before, and people don't want to see it as that, but at least symbolically, it's child sacrifice. But even more than that, it's actual child sacrifice. Right. And I've never been somebody who was super yeah. passionate about the abortion issue, but it's gotten so crazy that I've had to start talking about it. Yeah, yeah you know, in, if you paid attention to it even a little bit where these people are killing the babies, even up to and after they're actually born and they're saying, well, I decided I didn't want it. And they will kill the baby right there. They, you have people that are saying it's okay at any time from conception, even up until and after the, the baby is born, that it is okay in their mind. Because uh, in their mind, they a, say, a, that's a not a baby, US it's not a life. It's a massive, a clump, a, a clump of cells. Or it's just infanticide. A Straight a sitting U.S. governor, uh, Governor Ralph Norton of Virginia. Oh, uh, you, you'll, you'll deliver the baby, no. make it comfortable, and then you'll have a discussion with the mother of whether or not to kill it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that is, it's, that's, it's, that it's is sick. It's already you almost been can't delivered. believe that that that's actually taking place in this country. Like that's real. Like you heard him say it. Uh, I, I mean, I mean it, it's, it's horrible. It's it sickening. Um, you know. I could talk to you for hours, Mr. Brooks, but I understand that you got to get out of here soon. And so I want to give you, uh, I want to give you the last word. Um, oh, I mean, okay, given that all, all of this, all of the tough times that we have here, and you know, I tried to end our shows on on positive notes, but it's so hard nowadays. You know, you look at the price of gasoline just hit a yeah. a, a record high today of five dollars for the first time, five dollars across the nation a- a- average. You know, I look at the gas today, Mississippi, four dollars and forty nine cents for regular unleaded, five dollars and thirty nine cents for diesel, and you know. Americans, Americans are really hurting. So I want to give you the last word, and if you can, uh, end us on a nice positive note. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, it, I, I do appreciate you guys having me on. I, I, I well as well, I can stay here and talk to you because you guys have really, really great content. You have great questions, and I absolutely appreciate having this kind of conversation. 
Um, I, I do hope that your show grows and I hope that more people start tagging on and, and paying attention to it um, as, and as it goes, that you continue asking those tough questions the way that you have in, in, you know, with, with me. Um, it, this nation, it's, it, it has its ups and downs, you know, and, and I, really, I really had a negative outlook prior to coming into this race. I was really, really angry at the way that this nation was going. But I'll, I'll have to say, you know, that going around and actually speaking to people, speaking to them face to face and talking to these groups and seeing that they agree with a lot of the same things I do um, is reassuring that there, there is hope. I always want to feel that there's hope in this nation that we can correct this, this course and fix some of these things. It's not just happening here in this state. I see it happening across the nation. People are stepping up and people are starting to pay more attention, but we can't stop at that. And we can't get frustrated because uh, an election didn't go our way or the person that we wanted to be in there is not there. We have to stay in the fight. And I think that's our duty as American citizens. Freedom for us wasn't, wasn't passed down in the bloodline. And we have to understand that. It's something that we have to fight for every single generation. And if we get to the point where we become complacent enough that we just say, we're not willing to fight for it anymore, then that's when freedom goes away. And we, I think we are that last light. It's uh, reassuring to see that, that there are so many people who still believe in the constitution, who still believe in God the way that I believe in God, and that, that we have a chance to make things right here. So I, I think it's just up to us to stand up, take that stand and make sure that we make our voices heard at every single election um, and do our part to make sure that we're a part of that political process to make sure that this nation stays in, in the way that our founders intended it to be. Oh, that's well said. And I absolutely agree with you on that. Uh, you know, one of the things that Rhett and I noticed when we went to those events were the lack of media. And so we are, we're happy that we were able to give you that out that outreach and we're happy that people have been able to see to see you through us. And, you know, that has sparked another part of our plan is to try to make this into uh, a, a show that reports media so that we can have alternatives to the mainstream media that refuses to air 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 things that would change the outcomes of these local elections, which are so important, you know. Uh, they don't because they're not federal they don't get the attention that they're needed and then we then we wonder why nothing ever changes but i want to thank you for coming on to the show uh, it's always a uh, a blast talking to you like i said i could talk to you for hours and i'm happy that you're able to give us some professional insight as to uh, the mindset of an officer going through some of these turbulent times as to what you guys have to deal with when it comes to these active shooting situations when it comes to protecting us and well, thank you for your service to our, to our community, to our district, and to our country. Uh, Raymond Brooks, everybody, uh, thank you for joining. Mr. Brooks, you're free to go. Thank you. All right, Rhett. So, um, you know, I want to I want to continue going on for for a little moment here because this is our our uh, Saturday night stream. So. Like I was saying at the end there, $5, the average of gasoline just reached. $5, you know, I was, I was out with my mother and 
she was telling me that in order to fill up the truck, it cost her $120 to fill up the truck. And when she had to go fill up the diesel, it was even more than that, you know. And you have to think, my mother lives in the country. So when she has to come down to, to work down here in the, in the coast every every day, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of gas. That's a lot of diesel. And it's not done. The prices are probably, this time tomorrow, gasoline prices are probably going to be $5.05 because it looks like we're rising on an average of about three three to five cents every single day uh, almost because just a, just a few days ago we were at 596 i know uh, 496 a national average and now here we are at five dollars so i'm thinking by by monday they'll probably be at 505 so you know we were talking about in the last uh weekly news bulletin we were talking about gas prices probably reaching uh, I said that they were going to reach a uh, seven seven uh, thirty five. I think that's what my number was, or was it six thirty five? You said six. Well, you said six and between six and seven. I think I thought that was generous, though. And but now, now I'm a bit more pessimistic on it because the gas price is five dollars at half of the year. We still got uh, another half of the year to go by, and gasoline prices since the start of this year have risen by more. And two dollars yeah banks are saying now it's more than one bank now i don't think it's just the banks but it's primarily the financial institutions that are predicting this recession i think it's going to be a depression i know you do as well we'll start uh, i've been predicting it first of the year beginning of, if i think it's or i mean we have seen nothing yet as far as it things are right now but if they're right starting the first of the year things are going to get pretty bad you know I seen a post on Facebook at Walmart in Mississippi for vitamin D whole milk, which is the which is the milk that I that I purchase that I drink for a gallon, seven twenty five, seven thirty five, and some even know what's normal for milk because I don't drink milk. It's more expensive to purchase milk than it is minimum wage in, in Mississippi. And that's not that's not to say that I want minimum wage to be increased because I, I don't want minimum wage at all. But you have to think one hour of work is not even the equivalent of purchasing a single gallon of milk in some yeah. areas in Mississippi now. That's it's ridiculous. It's a good thing I don't drink milk, but that's still <laughs> it's absurd because one hour of work should be worth a lot more than a gallon of milk. It's, it's and that's also thing. not an argument for the raising the minimum wage. It's just the point that I'm trying to make. If it's you a work good thing for an that hour, you don't have to drink an entire gallon every day. I mean, if you had to drink a gallon every day, if oh man, we'd be hurting bad. I mean, te technically, you do have to drink a gallon every day because of gas prices. You know, milk is higher than gas, in Mississippi, but you know, gas is so much more to... essential. Eventually, yeah, I mean, the gas prices probably will be an hour of minimum wage job. Seven twenty-five. It's going to be more. It's going to be more. I, I'm I, I'm predicting now on a national average that gasoline prices are probably going to be um about nine dollars thirty cents because if the if, where are if you getting that number from? Are you just guessing? 
Uh, it's it's mostly a guess. It's mostly a guess. Was an educated guess because I'm going by following the trending data. Uh, it, when Biden got in office, it was rising at a rate of 62% year over year. Well, since last year, gasoline prices have risen more than 150%. And if they continue to rise at the rate that they're going, by the end of the year, if we don't see it start to slow down, I think in December, national average is going to be between $9 and $10. And in some, in some areas of the country, that's going to be between $15 and $17 a gallon. Well, it, it's they don't want people driving, so this is basically it seems it's the result of their policies, even if it's not orchestrated. But it certainly seems like they planned it this way. I don't see any other way that they could have been that it wasn't planned because they, they have, knew this was going to happen. They knew it was going to happen. Well, think think of it this way: they have methods right now that they could put in place that will squash it that will stop gasoline prices from rising anymore and actually start to move towards lowering it but what did they decide to do solar panels uh invest billions of dollars into making uh charging stations how many people in this how many charging stations are in the state of mississippi they don't see the problem with the charging stations is elon musk even said personally don't give us any money. We don't need it. Tesla already has a nationwide network that they built themselves. So he's just wasting the money. But it goes to say, how many charging stations do we have here in the state of Mississippi? I don't know how many we have. In, there's some in Biloxi. Let, let, let um, me find out. I, I want to I find out because I want to see how feasible it is, even though it's not really feasible for somebody that's in the middle of the not feasible because we don't have to enough resources to, to build the, the batteries. Everybody can't drive a, an electric car. That we don't have the material to build enough for everybody. And the charging that would that the power grid couldn't handle it either. Oh yeah, absolutely not. Not with our outdated power grids in the United States, particularly. It's not, a, it's in, not sustainable at all. Particularly in um, in some other regions. So Mississippi has a total of what looks to be. A total of 433 registered EVs and 780 charging stations per 100 EV. More than so, so I'm looking you're at... You're starting to see a lot of Teslas in Gulfport, actually. Model 3s, at least, the cheaper ones. I've seen so I'm looking at four, 433 charging stations in Mississippi, which is more than, what I, more than what I expected. But when you compare that to gasoline... You know how often it is that you're going to drive and see a gas station versus a charging station. I mean, to go to do to go charge your vehicle, you have to go out of your way to go find a charging station. But you could do it at your house. Yeah, you could do that at your house. If that's you're probably not, what if, most people are doing, they charge it every night. Like it's if you don't still well, if you don't want to pay point. an exorbitant amount in in uh in your electric bill, which is about to go up as well. The point is not, you know, electric cars are fine. It's just not a sustainable solution at all. Like I, well, when I have the money, I'm, I'm going to buy a Tesla. I like Teslas, but I, it's not I, something that everybody. I like the Tesla Roadster Sport. It's very quiet. But the point is, it's not a sustainable long-term solution at all. Exactly. And, you know, but 
Oh, the point the point that I was getting across is is that this is the this is Biden's solution is to have people who don't have any money, who don't have any savings because they blew all of their savings during the lockdowns because they weren't able to go to work. Uh, Biden's solution is go shell out 30, 40, 50,000 dollars on a new vehicle that you can't afford. But if everyone did it, the power grid would collapse. And it's like, he can't think about things that far ahead. Or he, they just, if the power grid collapsed and they couldn't get it back up, millions of people would be dead within the first 24 hours. First, and it would be the diabetics who require insulin because insulin has to be refrigerated. That's like 80 million people uh, worldwide. And um, But then who is he actually helping? Because the average... Himself. The average American can't afford that. Even the middle class American can't afford to just go buy a new car right now. But the people who are most affected by the by the raising gas prices are the working class. Who is he going to help when the people who he's supposed to care the most about? Because they're always talking about, or 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 in his words, by the way, in his words. Poor people are just as bright and just as talented as white people. So obviously he's saying that black people are poor. So yeah, if if we're if black people are right there. if black people are poor, how how is he helping us by telling us to go get an electric vehicle that we can't afford and then allowing gas prices to continue to rise through the roof? He fundamentally believes that people are divided more by race than they are by class, and that's completely wrong. Yeah, he's he's wrong in a whole bunch of stuff too, uh, a whole bunch more than. But what you will, you 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 already know. I don't have to tell you what he's wrong at. I don't have to tell these viewers what he's wrong at because we've been saying it. Like this bald spot is getting on my nerves. I gotta fix that. Um, uh, shave your head, dude. I can't I can't do that. I'm going. I'm going Why? to keeps. I'm going to start keeps. You don't have any. Other, I don't know what that is. You don't know what keeps. This is all. It's on all the commercials. No, I don't watch TV. It's on don't Facebook. Have ads all on over, it's I've all never, over Facebook. It's on, for you, not for me. Well, it's because they you have, have algorithms. Because you have a full head of hair. Yeah. You know, you got yeah. that Native American blood in you. Your hair's never going to go away. I got Native blood in me too, but not a, not a, not as much as you do. I don't think that's why I have a full. Head. I have a full head of hair because both my grandfathers did. But yeah, but I don't have any. There's nobody in my family, in my immediate family, or even slightly extended family that's bald. Native American boy. How many Native Americans do you know are bald? I don't think I've ever seen one. <laughs> exactly. I've lived on. I've lived on the Navajo, Navajo reservation. I don't think I ever my, seen it. My point exactly. Look, you even have the guy right behind you, in oh, yeah. full head of hair. Chief Joseph. <laughs> it's a full head full head of hair hear me my chiefs i'm tired my heart <laughs> is sick and sad oh i forgot the quote anyway the the memorable quote by him is i will fight no more forever i you know i i i like that quote but that means i'll be dead when i have to stop fighting <laughs> yeah he was just tired of it you know <laughs> 
Hell, I'm tired of it. I <laughs> think yeah, we're, we're all yeah, tired yeah, of we're it. Not, we're not at older than the Chiefs. Not but yet. you know that. You know, uh, I, I feel like it every day. Uh, but you know that, that put a smile on my face when uh, when Mr. Brooks let us know that a lot of people were watching. There's good. Yeah, dude, yeah. I was, a lot of people in Mississippi kind of, are watching. Surprised me. Like, where did they? Did we have that much of a reach? Like, how do how do we get to them? Maybe they were just looking for him. I don't know. Uh, but if they know, know, they couldn't have been because if they heard of him from us, maybe people are talking about it. Yeah. So that you know, we we got some reach in Mississippi, which is good. I like I like that, and it's encouraging. You wouldn't know it, it from the um, analytics. Yeah, anchors analytics seem a little bit wonky. <laughs> Well, see, the, the analytics are different when you log into it on a computer. They don't look the same. When I log into it on my computer, what I see, as a matter of fact, I'll look at it right now. Uh, the analytics that I see, it shows that our highest uh, our highest watched episode right now, um, peak watching, oh, let me see, podcast performance. Uh, let's do of all time. And swing through it. So of all time, our our best year, our best uh, day was in the middle of January of this year. But when you take a look at the amount of uh, at the amount of plays that we have, as far as our analytics go, on that, you know, we've got three hundred sixty five, three hundred ninety five plays all together. Uh, an average of four plays per episode with an average audience side of 10. Yeah, the, the app says four. So I don't know why it's different on the app on, on your phone. But. So it's, it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of inconsistencies and strangeness there. But when you take a look at our best episode, um, our weekly news bulletins are doing good. We got 10 plays on on the week of May 30th. It would be great if everybody who likes our Facebook page listened to every episode, dude. That would be well. That's that's why I, you know, I I I wish you know that they would do that. Um, but let's see. Our our bet we had a good episode. Raymond Brooks. We got ten views on that interview that we did with him. Uh, we got ten for Alden Returns. We got fifteen for Carl Boynton. Uh, we got nine for David Sellers. Um, we got twenty three. For out Al, for Alden's first yeah. interview with us, I uh, talked to him. For, we're supposed to be getting him back on here soon. It won't be next weekend. It'll probably be at the weekend after that. I sent out for, I for sent out a whole bunch of emails today. Um, that's good. The different uh different people, different different parties, different third parties, and several uh, media people also. I've and also I, I just I just put us in a Spotify um. A Spotify list thing. As a matter of fact, let me tell you exactly what it was, because I can't remember what it was. I I did it yesterday. Um, I went to my to my page here, and uh, it was right here. It's called um, a recording room. Uh, with ink. Where where was it? Which one? Which one was it? Uh, they all they all looked the fucking same. Which is. Which is why it's always so hard to figure out which one it was that I clicked on. Because all the emails have the same 
God dang, here it is. Is this it? No, no, that wasn't it. That wasn't it either. What was it that I clicked in? Because it was an email from this year. Or maybe it was from last year because some of these were from last year. I don't know. Anyways, here, here it is. Get featured on Spotify, which we're on Spotify. But I submitted our show. Um, they emailed me this in May, so I don't check my emails all the time. But I looked at the email, and I just submitted us to be featured on Spotify. Um, and so what, what it does is it goes into their editorial submission team, and it's going to put us into their big feature so I'm trying to get us a, a creator spotlight is what it's going to be doing. And so it's going to push us out there with a lot more people and it's free advertising. So I just did that, just did that yesterday. So we should be seeing some, um, some results and some upticks, which is good. You know, I want to see those upticks and things like that, but, but yeah, I, Alden's episode was by far our most watched episode. Um, second to that is our season three pilot. Uh, and then it's the very first episode. It's, uh, so very first episode is 21 views. That's the birth of a nation. That's in, uh, when I first started the podcast. Um, then it's, uh, uh, so Alden was 23, birth of a nation's 21. Season three pilot was 18, and then the pre-pilot episode to season one was 16 views. So, you know, we're getting a lot. We're getting a lot of views. So we got a good uptick. Um, so, I, so I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying uh, all of it. And like, yeah, like I said, it, it really did put a smile on my face uh, to know that we have been able to help inform because that's that's really the whole point of our show is is you know we 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 give commentary here and there but we're but we're here to inform people to make their own decisions to try to help them think on their own two feet help them influence their own thoughts and the fact that people learned about mr brooks through us is exciting it makes the it makes the idea of being able to turn this into um, a media site that we could use to try to replace the local media or or uh, kind of at the very least compete with them. It makes that that idea a lot more feasible, a lot more possible, because we're able to reach people like that. And and who knows what the algorithm is for the amount of votes that went to the primary because they heard uh, they heard us interview these people, you know, uh, and they were able to share that information with their their particular demographics and, const and uh, constituencies and just been able to hear those long, uh, long form interviews that we give our guests and allow them the time to be able to speak that these forums don't, uh, you know, who knows how many people we were able to influence in the election? Yeah, and stuff like that gives me the, you know, a confidence boost to keep keep going. 
And ho hopefully uh, this episode does the same thing. Um, we can maybe having this conversation with Mr. Brooks, um, if we can get Mr. Boynton or any of the other Republican candidates on, rallies to support behind Ezel and the runoff, get Palazzo out of office. You know, Ezel scares the hell out of me because of his his war warish tendencies, but Palazzo's got to go. He's got to yeah, go. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. He's been there too long. It's somebody else's turn. Even if Ezel is not everything we hope, it's still time for Palazzo to be gone, regardless he's, of anything else. He's not everything that we hoped for, but from the answers that he gave, other than some of the ones on, on war, uh, on, on America's policing issues, well, not, not policing locally, but policing the world, uh, he's, he's a pretty okay guy, pretty okay answers on a lot of them. I, I wrote down all of the memorable ones that I could think of. Um, I got it written down there in my in my binder. Um, but yeah, it, it, that, that's what it comes down to. Palazzo has just got to go. He has, he has been there for 14 years and has produced nothing. At the very least, Benny Thompson is chairing a committee you know, he's a horrible candidate too. He's the most horrible. useless committee that we've. The problem is that January 6th is the one example they can point to of some sort of right wing extremism when the when the examples on the left are so plentiful that the problem is the Republicans won't focus on any of it. They won't have their own hearings about these riots. And the so they hold on cowards. to that January. They hold on to the January 6th because that's all they have. Yeah, and you know Benny Thompson, the way he opened. Did you? Uh, you know, I I didn't really watch it because I think it was a load of crap. No, I didn't but, either. My grandma was watching I, it. You know, I I kept some tabs on it. You know, because we have to cover it. It's our job. I mean, we don't have to cover it if we don't want to. I mean, it's our show. We can do what the fuck we want. But uh, he opens up the committee. I was born a black man in South oh. Mississippi and lived here. Like, what the fuck does your race have to do with anything? First of all, we can see that you were born a black man. You don't have to tell us that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> okay. I love, I love, what if he said, I was born an Asian man and now I'm black? <laughs> what if he said, I was born a white man and I have become black with revitiligo? Transition. <laughs> transition it, to a black you know man. Do, you, do you remember when that was a thing uh black trans where people were transitioning from white to black yeah. rachel dolezal the NAACP I mean, press she tanned herself or like she sprayed it what but the thing is it's like that should be just as valid as transgender but it's not it, it, and you know there it's it's some these aren't even real mental disorders because they're, they're not this, it's not racial dysphoria. Yeah, I these think people, it's people, they're just trying to people, push, they're trying they, to see how crazy they can get it. I, I don't think, it. I don't even think it's that. I think they, they want to do something to make themselves famous. Yeah, or special, something, something that makes it Spe different. Speak, speaking of, this is the most vomit inducing story 
about transsexuals that I've ever encountered that this family has decided to have their, I think it's three-year-old transition because he just knew when he was born that he was a woman and not a young, not a little boy. He's three where's, years old. Where's Child Protective Services when you need him? They're championing it. Child that, Protective that, Services championing yeah, I it. I know. That they'll, you can get them called on you for not transitioning your kid. That's just, they're, they're promoting child abuse. That's what they're doing. That's what this is. They're pedophiles. They're pedophiles or they're just insane. The people I mean, who take their kids to a kid child drag show, those people are pedophiles. This is craziness. He's three. When I was three years old, I was playing with Barbie dolls because for, for number one, we didn't have enough money to afford action figures. So we had hand-me-down Barbie dolls and stuffed animals. Might be trans. I, I should, I should, my mother should have transitioned me. I should call child protective services and sue my mother for not transitioning me when I was a child. I mean, this stuff is sick. It's gotten too crazy. Um, yeah. well, I mean, did, uh, how, how did they know that the child knew? Because they, because this, this is their excuse. They said that they knew that the child was trans before he got out of the womb. And then they used the excuse that uh, a father who was a Christian didn't believe in trans transitioning and his child uh, resorted to self-harm when they were in uh, in high school or, or, or middle school or something like that. And he regretted not allowing his kid to transition because it, because they started to, you know, inflict harm. They basically became emo, you know, when that was a fad and because of that, this guy has made in his mind, it's like, oh, well, you know, if, if that's the, if that's the case, I'm I'm happy that I'm transitioning my three year old because I don't want them to harm themselves uh, when they're in high school. That's not a good rationale. You know, there's always been people like that. Hell, I've cut myself before. That doesn't mean you're trans if you self harm. They just they're taking anything that's like ab, like abnormal behavior and saying that that's what makes you trans. Anything hey, that I've makes done, you alternative makes you trans. I've done self harm. I never cut myself or anything like that. But uh, what I would, when I would go to the dojo or to the boxing gym, I'd sit there in the middle of in the, in the middle of the mat or in the middle of the ring, unguarded, and just let somebody deck me in the face just because I felt like it one day doesn't mean that i'm out to kill myself doesn't mean that some that that you know i i was bullied so badly that i decided that my life isn't worth anything uh i want to let this boxer beat the hell out of me i mean these i mean this is is it's other nonsense it's craziness I don't know where we go uh, from here with all of this. You got you have kids, as you said, these parents. And you know, there's one thing that I can say that I did not like about the drag queen incident with the kid. Uh, with that, is that Only after the event, 
Well, I mean, there's a lot of it, but the one, but what this thing, I, this thing I really didn't like is after the event was over, uh, some some guy with a cell phone went, uh, was ch- chasing down one of the performers and calling them a calling them a pedophile and all of that on uh, and hunting them down to his car when you know it was not that drag queen's fault that the parents brought their kids there he was just doing his job and performing that does, that's not i mean obviously the parents but still you're a pedophile too if you're performing for kids like that Just put it on the floor. Um, but you know, I I get I get you. Uh, come here, get up here. But you know, Rhett, I get I get you one hundred percent that it is the fault. That it's the fault of the parents, and and uh, the drag performer does have some responsibility that they have to bear for continuing to perform when children are there rather than you know standing up and saying hey this is not right the whole kids point of it was to bring kids though that whole event yeah that's true that they did set the event up uh, for that to happen but i i just i don't like the fact that the that the guy was chasing the guy to his car and harassing them at his vehicle because at the end of the day they knew what the event was the parents knew what the event was they were the ones that brought these kids there so as much as we can be upset at the performer a lot more of that needs to be targeted towards these parents for their sickening behavior and what they decided to do yeah so about ready to wrap this up it's nine o'clock is it oh geez it is oh yeah so let's end this on a on a on a pause on a positive note on a nice positive note i thought we already did that well mr brooks did give us a nice positive note i really yeah i don't think we can top that i really did enjoy enjoy that oh yeah you know right you're right i think he gave us the best closing that we can give so with that being said I want to thank everybody for listening to our episode tonight. Um, join us on Facebook. Uh, not join, uh, follow us on Facebook. Yeah. Oh, like our page. Like like our page, share our page, share our content. Listen to our content on Please Spotify. share it with your friends. Spread, spread the show as far as you can. If you enjoy yes. it, then maybe other people will too. If you enjoyed, if you think it's mind opening, uh, do do so. Leave us messages on the Facebook and on our Discord. We love to hear what you guys have to say. We love to hear what you guys uh, want to be able to talk about. Uh, do you like the content that we're doing? Do you like the fact that we're producing episodes five days out of the week, six days out of the week technically, when we do our collaborations? And I produce videos seven days out of the week, pretty much. Um, uh but fo- follow us on every on all of those things uh, tell us what you think of our content because 
the only way that we're going to do get, get better with our content get better with our model is to have feedback to you know to to let us know how are we doing um are episodes too long do we ramble too much do i curse too much or some people say i do <laughs> um every once in a while it's fine but like you know try to keep it to like maybe twice per episode or something like that <laughs> you know i'm not going to i'm not going to sit here and be all hodge twins and be that was a damn good show mm-hmm. <laughs> i love those guys you know they got a new they got a new sweepstakes going out out there for a new white ram trx i gotta enter that sweepstakes i'm gonna win that ram to trx uh but yeah follow us everywhere follow us on facebook follow us on rumble on youtube on truth social twitter and all the other places, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Destroy of America, or Destroy of America PW, wherever you find us. And I've always wanted to do this. Yeah. <laughs> but we are out of here. Thank you all for joining us. <laughs>